Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent place for AWA podcasting and video stream here on what they call the uh, the interwebs, the World Wide Web, the internet, however you want to say it. My name is Chris Tubbs. I am one part of it. And uh, today it's a it's a fun show. It's something that made the AWA famous. It's something that it's known for. And I'm going to bring in uh, two guys right now. Here it is. You see one guy, you see two guys, get rid of one guy. Well, you know, I can't, but guys, it's tag teams. And if there's one thing that people remember about the AWA, it is the, just the, the, the gluttony of the embarrassment of riches that the AWA had when it came to, to tag teams. So I'm excited to talk about that, but before we do want to get the, uh, all of our, Thank yous and, and kudos uh, to everybody that's been continuing to support us. If uh, you have been supporting us, thank you so much. If you haven't, I don't know what your problem is. Uh, that's where you can catch us right there. YouTube, people love us on YouTube. They love to see our faces. I have no idea why. I think it's more about the pictures. Uh, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon, everything right there. I've been talking for 90 seconds. I'll let you guys talk a little bit and then we'll do some more plugging. But uh, I mean, guys, we, we continue. I mean, I love the fact that we've got merch rolling out. We got shows rolling out. People still love it. And I mean, I think we're, we're I don't even think we've hit our stride yet. And I'm really super excited about it, guys. Who wants to go, go ahead and go, Mick. I couldn't agree with you more. The response continues to be tremendous. I appreciate it, and I, I know I get a lot of uh, private messages on Facebook and a lot of emails, people coming up with their ideas. We'd like to see more of this. How about you bring this person on the air and, and so on and so forth. In any case, it's so gratifying. By all means, keep up that two-way com, you know, uh, uh, conversation between you and us, and uh, we're having a good time. Hope you are, too. Absolutely. I echo everything Mick said. It's so refreshing when we have a a show that drops on Tuesday, and it seems like within minutes we're getting compliments and kudos about another great show, our best show yet. You know, and this is encouraging for us. And those that have uh, sent us constructive criticism in Mm -hmm. polite ways, we so appreciate you because we're here. Seriously, we're here to make this your show and stuff that you want to see and hear and and we're going to continue to do the best that we can. So thank you, everyone, for following Unleashed. Yeah, and, you know, to kind of back that up, I've gotten ideas. You know, you guys have given me feedback. I've gotten ideas from, from listeners and viewers. So believe me, we are doing what we can to try and make this thing better because it's it's a work in progress. I mean, when we say this thing is, like, unscripted, it literally is. We've got bullet points. But I don't have any idea where it's going. You guys don't have any idea where it's going. We kind of have a a skeleton, an idea, but we just kind of roll with it. So sometimes things may take a left turn or right turn, but yes, by all means, we definitely want the feedback. So thank you guys, because this is this about you guys as well. Um, Do you want to thank soda stick? Uh, You can see right there. They've got the uh, skull hat. Thank you, Georgie. Uh, Mick's got his Met center hat. They're also because of them. We've got the AWA unleashed t-shirts. We had it available for a very limited time, uh, but we do have something else that's very, very special coming down the line, guys. And it's courtesy of Soda Stick. 
so be looking for that. If you're looking for anything that's Minnesota sports related, whether it's Twins, Vikings, Timberwolves, Wild, uh, Gophers, whatever, check them out. SodaStickCO.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED. Get 15% off. So we got that. Uh, also want to thank our uh, friends at Lift Bridge Brewery. As you can tell, I'm uh, drinking, if I can even see right there. It's my uh, Lift Bridge, my uh, IPA this morning. Um, and I'm going to be careful so I don't spill it like I did with the barber interview um, because that was beer abuse. But check them out, liftbridgebrewing.com. Uh, They've got swag. I've got the uh, T-shirt right here. It's super comfy. Uh, so we're going to be out there, actually, guys. And uh, last thing, just in a couple of weeks, we're going to be down there, our very first live show. This is about you guys now. It's a, it's going to be a QA. and uh, It's going to be some games. We're going to give things away. We're just going to have a good old time. Doors open at noon. Uh, show at 2. And the stars of Midwest All-Star Wrestling are going to take center stage at 3.30. So we got a lot of things going on. You can get your tickets uh, right there. Just go ahead and uh, copy that link, put it in your browser, and uh, come and see us. So I think we got everything out of the way. You uh, you agree, guys? Good let's to go. Make it happen. All right, let's do it. Uh, today, tag teams. Uh, guys, this is this is what the AWA was known for. I mean, I don't know if there was a territory that had more high-profile tag teams. And, and I know, George, you wanted to kind of kick this thing off by – you know, letting everybody know that, you know, there's a there's a certain lineage that goes along with tag teams in the AWA in the Minneapolis territory. Well, you know, the thing is, a lot of people and some that don't, but the NWA territory in the 50s, which was Minneapolis, later became the AWA territory in the 60s. But back in 1954, on December 28th, hard-boiled Haggerty and Hans Herman were defeated by Vern Gagne and Pat O'Connor in the very first Minneapolis tag team match. And from there on out in the 50s, through the 60s, the 70s, and into the 80s, AWA, NWA, tag team wrestling was on top in the AWA Minneapolis territory. So I thought that was a little bit of history we'd want to share. And that the lineage of what the tag team was, two guys coming together to hold a tag rope, only one in the ring at a time, and we know that concept, those rules were made to be broken mm-hmm. and to cause all-out pandemonium, as Dusty Rhodes would say, and made the tag team match and the stories told in them so special. And that's what we're going to highlight today, some of the teams that did that for us. Before we get to that, I, I do have some questions for you guys when it comes to uh, to tag teams, because I know you each have a list of 10, and we could go on for a lot longer than, than what we're going to. Uh, George, you mentioned that these were two guys that came together in, in terms of Vern and how he looked at tag teams. Was it always two guys that came together as a unit or w- was it like two guys that maybe he felt were compatible that maybe these two guys would be a, a good presentation? Uh, go ahead and start with that, George. The, the unique thing about the tag team concept is that a lot of times it was two guys that had similar styles. The fans would get over with a babyface team or a heel team but a lot of times it was two guys who had different styles and you could look at them and say, well, how can he be with him? They don't match, but as a team, they gelled with their opposite styles. You know, Billy Robinson and the crusher, for example, two different ring styles, but they meshed and were popular. And then you get the the concept of the tag teams where 
can they come together and work together because they don't like each other, mm-hmm. at least on screen and in the, in the storyline. And the fans have that question mark. How are they going to work together? And then you had the concept of two good tag team, longtime buddies, pals, and they break up. One turns on the other. I mean, the, the storylines in tag teams, they were just phenomenal and so interesting. And the soap opera could be continued because of these many questions that could be asked or done within a match. Mick, I, I want to ask you, did you ever get the sense that it, like guys wanted to be in tag teams or do you feel like they would rather be solo? Because I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we hear that, you know, when you're in a tag team, maybe you don't get the shine that you want. Some guys kind of want to go out on their own with the way that things were presented in the AWA. I mean, is that, do you feel like maybe guys, they were okay with being in tag teams because they were featured so prominently? I think so. And I think the AWA handled tag teams brilliantly. <clears throat> that that's, that's the one thing that I would say. And in that sense, nobody had to be jealous. Nobody had to be concerned that they were going to be losing their shine. Everybody was making money. Uh, Wally Carbo and Vern Gagne knew exactly what they were doing, who they were putting together, no matter how they came together, whether it was as a result of some, you know, fracas and some guy turning on another guy or whatever the case may be, it always seemed to work. Uh, the AWA tag team concept and the NWA, the same thing, I, I would have to say. Um, so in terms of did the guys feel that they were being overshadowed by a partner or whatever? No. And again, Chris, we've talked about this many times. Bottom line is money. And the AWA tag team feuds over the years drew an awful lot of money. I, I want to ask both of you guys this. Were there any teams that you felt or guys that would have been good together that, I mean, whether it was like a backstage relationship or you just felt like their chemistry would have worked, but they were never put together and uh, presented as a tag team. When it, go ahead and start with that, George. When you when you ask that question, Chris, one team that comes to mind for me would be Vern Gagne and Jeff Ports. For whatever reason, I always loved tag teams that kind of looked alike or had the same ring style or had the same outfits together. I mean, call me crazy, but I kind of like that. And it brought some uh, unity to the whole thing. And I thought Ganya and Ports would have been a very exciting team, especially against guys like Nick and Ray and some of the teams that were around in that time. So that'd be my answer, Vern and Ports. I would say, and I've mentioned this before, but you'd have to do a little, uh, little chicanery, little angle, little storyline, Nick Bockwinkle and Jim Brunzel. Uh, I always, you know, they teamed up in Japan, and I always envisioned Brunzi somehow turning on Greg, uh, maybe managed by Bobby Heenan. Uh, I thought that would have been an absolutely stellar tag team. It, my dream team, seriously, Bachwinkle and Brazil. I think it would have been great. What about any teams that you felt were, and I'll ask it, teams that you thought when you saw them or, you know, whether it's in the ring of their personalities, you're like, Oh my God, this is not going to work. And they ended up being good. And, and then vice versa. I want to ask you guys both. Was there one team that you thought was going to be good together that just never, for whatever reason, never got over. Um, why don't you go ahead and start with this one, Mick? It, as, as far as the, the teams that I thought would be good, 
this is going to be kind of a controversial answer. And this is going back to the 1970s AWA. It wasn't necessarily a team that was makeshift and thrown together in the AWA. It was a team that had a reputation already when they came into the AWA, and that was the Valiant Brothers. And for whatever reason, I, you know, I, I, I like Jimmy Valiant. I like Johnny Valiant. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that team just didn't do it for me in the AWA. And I don't know why it was. Uh, they had much more success, as far as I'm concerned, other places. Um, so you, you never know how things are going to turn yeah. out. That, that was a case where, you know, the hype to me at least, when they came into the AWA territory, uh, just just did not match what I what I saw from them in the ring. What about you, George? Well, the one that comes to mind to me, and it has always been this way, and I don't understand why, is uh, Jesse and Adrian. I, I, you talk about two completely different ring styles. In the AWA, they were magic. So that'd be my answer. Another question I want to ask you guys is, I know that we love the behind the scenes dirt and if guys aren't getting along, any stories of guys that had the team but absolutely despised each other, but yet because they worked in front of a crowd so well that they ended up being a team, but they just, they could not wait to get out of each other's presence. Uh, I saw you kind of shaking your head there, George. Why don't you go ahead and and hit this one up first? Well, uh, this one that comes to mind wasn't necessarily an AWA tag team, but Red Bastine himself told me this story while visiting here. He and his brother, Lou Klein, who was Lou Bastine with Red, they, they absolutely, Red told me, he said, working with Lou was like, being dragged behind a pickup. He said, I hated working with him. But anybody that that looks at their tag team together, the Bastine Mm -hmm. brothers, Red and Lou, in 1959 through about 61, they were tag team magic. They made all the magazines. They made several territories. They made money. And Red told me, he said, I would go in. I'd get in the ring. We'd do our magic. I'd go home. We never talked to each other. And then their team broke up and went their separate ways. Both were tremendous stars. Lou was, I think Red was the bigger of the two in starship, but Red didn't like working with him at all. And he was his brother in the ring, but (laughs) they never showed it. When you watch them wrestle, and I've seen some tapes, when you watch them wrestle, man, are they cohesive? Are they magic? Do you want to come back and see them tomorrow? So that would be my answer on that one. To me, I never heard of any AWA teams that really did not get along, really disliked each other to the extent where it would spill out or you'd hear about locker room scuttlebutt or whatever. You know, a lot of guys. Well, that's a good word, scuttlebutt. Great. Yeah, I like it. Right up there with preeminent. But anyway, (laughs) uh, I. You don't hear about it in the AWA, and again, I think that that goes to the professionalism of the way that Vern and Wally ran the ship. Mm-hmm. You had guys that were put together that really, from a personality standpoint, outside the ring, were totally divergent. And the team that comes to mind is Nick Bockwinkel and Ray Stevens. In the ring, they were magic, two completely different lifestyles. And you would think these guys would be button heads, 
because Ray was a party guy. Ray was, you know, the motorcycles and the speedboats and everything else. And Nick was the straight laced guy, you know, a homebody with, with Darlene and what have you. Um, but in terms of guys that really didn't get along, I didn't hear that too much in the AWA. Okay. okay. It just, I mean, we all want the behind the scenes dirt. And I, I mean, I figured if there was some sort of chicanery that was going on, since we're going to be throwing around, you know, these, you know, 25 cent words, I figured I'd try and chicanery. The, the, the magic chicanery. too, the magic too, Chris, <laughs> as you hit on it and Mick touched on it. If they can make money together, it's all about yeah. the house and the gate and getting the fans to come yep. back. And if they can make money together, most of the guys were professional enough. And I use the red and Lou Bastine. They were professional enough to know that I got to go in there. I'll do my job and I'll go home and I don't have to put up with this guy anymore. Chris, and it's that, like, that's the way it works. It's kind of like Karch and I. I mean, God help me if I have to spend any time personally with him. Well, I didn't. You're not going to have that on the air, are you? <laughs> no, I can edit that out. No, I leave it in there. It's the truth. Oh, how I detest him. What I was going to say, Chris, is that it's like any other job. You go to work, and there's some people you like, some people you don't like. Right. But you've got your duties. You've got your duties as assigned. Mm-hmm. You've all got the same objective, and in the end, whether it's you're making money for the tag team or making money for the company, you got to get along, yeah. and that's what it's all about. Yeah. Two. Right. Like- <laughs> One more time, Mick. Just No, don't do that. Oh, I feel like the rest of the show. I'm just gonna take myself out of the pot, out of the scream, and I'll just let you guys. Do I feel like. Two stitches. Okay. So uh, I've got a couple more things that I, I want to add at the end. And I know that we're going to pay tribute to uh, someone a little bit later on in the show, Mick. Uh, but let's get to the, let's get to the, the tag teams. And here's what I love about this w- with you guys is, is because of the, the time frame of the AWA, you guys are coming at it from two very distinctly different angles, uh, you know, two different time frames, And I, I love that because, it's something that I think everybody can can relate to, whether you know you're you're a fan of the early days, or you know maybe you didn't really get a chance to catch the you know the the heydays like like um, you know like I didn't get a chance to. But here, these lists I think are really good because you guys, I think you do a great job of covering it. So uh, George, let's go ahead and uh, start with uh, start with your number one here. I'm going to start with Pretty Boy Larry Hennig and Handsome Harley Race. You know, when you think of tag team wrestling in the 60s, I honestly believe there is no team that can take more credit for the success of tag teams in that era for at least five or six years of the decade. They came together in a weird way. They were both down in Amarillo, Texas, not wrestling together. Harley was relatively new to the business for just a few years. And they met. Larry came home here much rougher than he had left. And it was acknowledged that he is now a roughneck rather than, you know, a a clean cut wrestler. And Larry went to Wally Carbo and he suggested that he get to work with this young kid, Harley race. And they got together. And if you saw Hennig and race, they they were just phenomenal in the ring. Their styles were a little different. Race was more the bump taker. Larry, as he said, was excess baggage or surface uh, transportation, as he called it. (laughs) But together, the magic on their interviews, their camaraderie, 
And now we were talking a moment ago about guys that get along. Larry and Harley remained close and best friends till the day both passed away. And Larry actually got teary-eyed when he was talking about Harley. A couple years back, Harley was going through some health issues. And, and Larry said, you know, I've never had a crossword with Harley. And they loved working together. The only thing that changed for them was that Harley was going to move on and had some aspirations as a singles wrestler and had an opportunity to buy into the, the central states territory. And it moved on. We know his career went well, and so mm -hmm. did Larry's. But in the 60s, from 64 to 68, phenomenal, even a, even a few matches in 69. And then they reteamed together uh, down in Florida very briefly and in Japan in the early 80s. That's my team as one of the best for tag team wrestling. All right. What do you got for uh, the first one that you want to talk about, Mick? Surprisingly, Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens. And uh, to me, that is not only my favorite tag team of all time, but I think I look at them as the best tag team in the history of the AWA. And the thing with Nick and Ray, you know, they had known each other, you know, uh, from times in California and what have you. When Vern Gagne and Wally Carbo put Nick and Ray together, it was a stroke of genius. And here's what I would say about Nick and Ray. Besides the fact that they were both phenomenal wrestlers as singles wrestlers, and they managed to gel so tremendously as a tag team, you add Bobby Heenan to the mix, of course, eventually. And, I mean, you just got pure magic. The, the thing that I would say about Nick and Ray is they were in an era that I would would say is arguably the most heated as far as fan involvement and believing what they were seeing in wrestling, the early 1970s. Uh, you would hear about the shootings in Chicago or riots here or riots there, and Bockwinkle and Stevens were a heat machine. And when you added... Bobby Heenan to that. I just think the whole thing, and of course their opponents back in the day, you had you had a whole list of what the Wahoo McDaniels and Billy Robinsons and Crutchers and Red Best. So their opposition was stellar, was grade A. The timing was just right, and I think that Nick and Ray are just legendary. All right, uh, what do you got for your number two here, George? You know, I want to just say that the thing about a great tag team is that that in-ring workmanship and the ability to work together. And we've all heard the saying, there's no I in team. So when they come together and make it happen, Nick and Ray, Larry and Harley, you saw the result. My next team is one that for people that know me personally won't be a surprise. It's luscious Larry Hainimi and beautiful Buddy Wolf. I want to tell you guys, here is a tag team. Now, I said I like teams that look alike, dressed alike, that sort of thing, had similar styles. I don't think you could come up with two guys that ever teamed in the AWA that had more of that connection. They looked a lot alike. In this picture, Larry's got darker hair, but they looked a lot alike. They were built similar. They wore the same type of ring attire, and their styles were almost like you saw one, you saw the other, vice versa. And they were a team that, as far as I'm concerned, like a lot of people, they should have been champions. But in the scheme of things, there were so many outstanding teams at the time that Larry and Buddy were together that it wasn't in the picture for them to be champs. But they were outstanding in the middle of the card and in the main events they had together with other teams that, in my opinion, they have to rank in about the top five or six all-time great AWA tag teams. All right, uh, what do you got for your next one here, Mick? 
Number two is a team that George alluded to a little bit earlier on, and that's Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis. And we don't have to speculate who was the worker of the two of them. I mean, as far as in-ring ability, Adrian Adonis, long before he you know ballooned to almost 400 pounds, um, there's a great cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated with Jesse and Adrian. Got to remember the time that they were here and the, the feuds that they had with the High Flyers, for example. They're here at a time where Hulk Hogan is here. And I would say, you know, if you take Hulk Hogan out of the equation, Adonis and Ventura and the High Flyers and what have you really were at the top of the, the rung in the AWA. The feud was red hot. The timing again, putting them together was pure genius. Adrian took hellacious bumps in the ring. He was a psychologist, and Jesse was the guy, you know, that would piss people off behind the microphone. Jesse was was a genius, you know, in cutting his pro his promos with uh, me, Gene Okerlund. Um, again, magical, magical tag team combination. Uh, what do you got for your number three here, George? I'm going with a babyface team this time, and I'm going with the Redheads, Billy Red Lions, and Red Bastine. And you want to talk about the genius of putting two guys together. In a lot of ways, their team was very similar to the Red and Lou Bastine tag team of almost a decade earlier outside of the AWA. But here's where a great tag team comes into play. And again, I think this is a team that could have been good representatives as AWA champions. But again, the timing and other teams around them and the, the ability for the team to draw made it better that they were challengers. Here's where they're great. Dick Beyer and Red Bastille both told me that their their favorite tag team was Billy Red Lions and Red Bastille. Red said he loved working with Billy better than any other partner he had. And when you look at Red's tag team resume, he was with a who's who of wrestlers over the decades. And he picks out Billy. And Dick Beyer said they were the best babyface team I ever saw. And in the AWA, their battles for the tag team championship drew record numbers. And in my opinion, that was Red's best tag team partner. What do you got for your next one, Mick? I have a couple of cowboys, or at least the drugstore cowboys, uh, Blackjack Lanza and Bobby Duncan. And, you know, we said an awful lot about Jack Lanza, one of the toughest guys legitimately to ever get into a ring. I love watching Jack Lance's matches. Uh, you know, it's just uh, with that, that one flap of hair, you know, going, going off into the breeze and, you know, the, the shoe polish that he would lay, leave on a guy's rib cage from coloring his hair before he came out to the ring. <laughs> the guy that I think in this equation that was underrated is Bobby Duncan. Uh, Bobby did not say a lot in the interviews. He had that thick uh, Texas drawl, but he was a tremendous worker for a big man. And uh, one of my favorite tag teams of all time. I, I just think in the scheme of things, uh, you hear a lot about Blackjack Lands. Of course, he went on a team with Blackjack Mulligan. Mm -hmm. So Bobby Duncan kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But in the annals of AWA tag team history, they're right up there now. But, uh, George, I know your next one is uh, one that maybe Mick, he said earlier, he wasn't necessarily a fan of. It, it just didn't do it for him. Well, that's Luscious Jimmy or Luscious Johnny and Handsome Jimmy Valiant. 
And they came into the AWA and I would lose count on the fingers and toes I have the number of times people have said to me that they should have been AWA tag team champions. They were a good team. They worked together well. Their interviews were entertaining. They had a different type of style in the ring that, you know, sometimes you could laugh at it, but other times you took it seriously. But here's the deal with them. They, again, were in a tag team shuffle at the time they were in the AWA with with about five or six or seven other top tag teams, along with Lanza and Duncombe that Mick just talked about being the champions. So how could you make Jimmy and Johnny the champions? But here's the secret behind the scenes. Vern was not going to put the title on those two guys, and here's why. They had been champions in the WWF. They had been champions in the WWA. And Vern was not going to give them the title because that would make it seem like he was copying them and he didn't want them. So if he had them in a match, Mm. he actually wanted someone else to go over them to kind of give that rub to the WWF that they're not as good as you perceive them to be. That's a behind the scenes thing. But Johnny and Jimmy, they were a good team. They would have been good champions. And again, you could have thrown Bobby Heenan in and you want to talk about behind the uh, scenes scuffle. Bobby didn't uh, necessarily like being associated with either one of them. At least Mm. that's the story I got. Wow. And it kind of make, it kind of makes sense when you're talking about Vern not wanting to put the belts on him, uh, you know, to, to kind of, you know, not look like they're copying because in today's day and age, it's like if somebody wins a belt somewhere, all of a sudden they win a belt everywhere else. And all of a sudden you've got like this multiple promotion champion. So I think that that's, that's an interesting way to, to look at it. George. It's kind of like Vern Gagne and Ivan Koloff when Koloff came in. They always acknowledged that Koloff beat Bruno. He was mm-hmm. the man. But Vern, by beating Koloff, in his own way, proved that he was better than Bruno, at least the perception he wanted to give out. That's the way wrestling worked. Made sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're about uh, 30 minutes through our 60-minute Broadway here, guys. So uh, what you got next up, Mick? Uh, the High Flyers. Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel. And Greg Gagne is the one with the the detractors over the years. But I would challenge anybody to go back and look at those AWA video clips from the 1980s when Gagne and Brunzel were feuding with guys like uh, Lanza and Duncan or, or Ventura and Adonis or what have you, the Sheiks. They were so damn over with the crowds it was beyond belief i mean you could denigrate greg for his size they were tremendous as a team greg Gagne himself was a great worker and they blew the roof off of every arena they sold out the saint paul civic center time and time again the chemistry was there the magic was there and i would say that as a baby-faced tag team i don't know of too many teams in any promotion and I'm talking about whether it's the Rock and Roll Express or what have you, the high flyers were as over and as popular and as accomplished as any tag team in wrestling. And we were lucky to see him here in the AWA. Uh, what you got for your next one, George? Interesting that as Mick is talking about the high flyers, uh, my phone was buzzing here. Greg just left me a message. Greg, Greg was uh, good on the team, though. Absolutely phenomenal tag team. Mine you, th- is, you, you think he knew that you were talking about him? Is that like when, you're, when no, your ears are no, burning? No, no. I, I, get a, I get regular calls from him, so he left message. 
Uh, my next team is, you know, I think you got to go back to the beginning if we're talking AWA and the end of the NWA territory in Minneapolis. And that has to be the team that had one of the, the neatest names at the time, Murder Incorporated. Does it yes. say anything better than that? Tiny <laughs> Mills, Crusher Kowalski with a K. And Vern made them his very first tag team champions after they came off of a tour that you see a picture of here. They were champions in Hawaii. They were international tag team champions. And then they came into Minneapolis recognized as NWA champions. Then when the AWA took over in 1960, Vern went with the flow and he put the belts on Tiny and Stan and together they were magic in the ring. And again, they had that same look, that same ring style and phenomenal tag team. And then as happens with some tag teams that adds to their legacy, is they had a falling out and they broke up and we had great matches between the two of them along with other partners as well. But that's the legacy of Tiny and Stan. And in my book, we can't talk tag teams unless we talk the beginning mm -hmm. and Tiny Mills, Stan Kowalski were that. Yeah, I, your uh, next one here, Mick, uh, really interests me and uh, kind of give me a little bit of a backstory on the picture that we're about to see too. Okay, well, let, let, let's bring the uh, let's bring the photograph up. Um, this is a tag team that was very unique in that that they were both big, rough, tough guys, and I'm talking about Jerry Blackwell and Ken Patera. Uh, they were the real deal, and when I say tough guys, I mean no nonsense, no bullshit. If these guys wanted to, they would rip your heads off. And, of course, they were managed by Sheik Adnan LKC. Now, here's what I what I, I don't quite get. They referred, or Sheik referred to Jerry Blackwell, of course, as Sheik Ayatollah Blackwell. All right, makes sense. But he, he called Ken Patera Lawrence of Arabia. And I'm not quite sure. I've never understood where the Lawrence of Arabia came in. I understand Ayatollah, Ayatollah Blackwell. I understand <laughs> that part of it. But this was a legit team. And again, you talk about a team that had heat. Oh, my God. Adnan L. Casey was probably one of the most over heels in wrestling. And with Blackwell and Patera, he had magic there. They had mm -hmm. phenomenal matches with the, with the high flyers. And uh, you can't talk about tag team wrestling in the 80s without mentioning Blackwell and Patera. And you know, you got to add this about Patera. That what really made it great was he was a turncoat. He turned, yes. on, he turned on America. He was an yes. Olympic champion. And he turns on America and goes with Iraq. You know, does it get any... How can you not hate this guy? And oh, that, 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 that's a story. That's a wrestling story that is as old as time. And Sergeant Slaughter. There yeah. you know. Oh, back in 91. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 Go for it. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and that picture, I saw that picture and I can only imagine like you have those two, you know, uh, Americans. Yeah. And you're turning and, and you're teaming with the Sheik and you, you've got everything. It's like, to me, that just screams heat. Chris, well, Chris you got to understand something. These guys, you know, Adnan was promising them everything. Oil wells and, and, harem and women and dancing women and, and back rubs you know from the from the massage for jerry blackwell's five <laughs> acre back so they had everything you know the 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 entourage was waiting at the airport in baghdad for them to come back with the tag team titles so i it was just a storyline that was just 
Fantastic. <laughs> and when you talk about the difference in the two styles, both were big, rough, tough guys, like Mick says, but Patera was the weightlifter, the, the, the nice build, the worker. And then you had Jerry Blackwell, who was the epitome of an out of shape person who you don't believe should be in the ring, but he was so good and so believable. And you put them together, opposite styles. And yes, the best. <laughs> right, uh, what do you got for your next one here, George? I'm going back a little bit, a little bit to the uh, Mills and Kowalski era and coming up with hard-boiled Haggerty and Gene Kaniski. And the reason I picked that team was that these were two guys that came together sort of by accident in the AWA because Lenny Montana, HB's regular partner, had a broken leg and he needed to come up with a partner. He picked Gene Kaniski. They went on to win the title. And then as sometimes happens, they battled each other because of jealousy and the team broke up and HB beat Kaniski in a loser leave town match. That's phenomenal when you think that Gene went on to be NWA world champion. But then the other unique thing was, is when I do results, I see how these guys' two careers were connected so much during the course of their individual careers and how they had teamed together before here. And even after they had their horrid feud in the AWA, a year later, they were Canadian tag team champions together. So a phenomenal tag team of some similar styles. And in my opinion, one of the best for the, the year or so that they were together in the AWA. All right. What do you got for your next one, Mick? I'm going to bring Ray Stevens back, first of all. And of course, his tag team partner, Pat Patterson. Ray and Pat had already established themselves as a tremendous tag team, particularly out on the West Coast. Uh, Again, this wasn't a situation where Vern said, let's put these two guys together and see what happens. Their reputation preceded them. And again, talk about a team that had heat. Uh, Their promos on television were fantastic. And again, the 1970s, this tells you, the 1970s AWA tag team scene was just phenomenal. When you look at the list of guys that were competing in and around the territory, and you can't you can't ignore Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, not only in the AWA, but in, in the annals of wrestling history in general, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. So what do you got coming up for your next one here, George? I'm going to go with probably one of our most notorious tag teams, and that is Mad Dog and his little brother, as he referred to him, Paul the Butcher Vashon. You know, Vern hit the gold mine when he put those two together. They had been a team off and on through the years. Here you see them jumping on the stomach of Pepper Gomez. And the Vashans in the ring were probably the reason that teams like Red Bastine and Billy Red Lions and so many others didn't get the championship because Vern drew so well with his heel champions in the Vashans. Mad Dog was over, of course, as the greatest heel in probably AWA history, having the long feud with Vern. But together with Butcher... They hold the record for having the longest reign uninterrupted as tag team champions. And the only reason they left or got rid of the title was in 71, Butcher wanted to go and start promoting and and taking over Montreal and Mad Dog was going to go with him. And so they asked Vern to take the title off of him. But together, their battles with the Redheads and other tag teams, phenomenal and money-making. That may have been one of Vern's along with Hennigan Race and 
and Nick and Ray, probably one of his best money-making teams. And uh, your next one here, Mick, is uh, I think one that, uh, I mean, everybody's going to recognize right off the bat. Well, first of all, I want I want to just make mention about, uh, you know, something George said in, in terms of you know, the money-making. Again, the AWA, just brilliant, brilliant tag team strategists over the years. The feuds that they created, and George had mentioned the longest-running tag team champions. Yeah. That was back in the day when when uh, uh, a championship was based on years, not days. Mm-hmm. You know, as you have today. You know, like three hundred and seven days as champion. Um, the tag team I'm going to talk about. Mad Dog is coming back for another fall. Uh, we, we just heard uh, George talking about him and the Butcher, Mad Dog Vashon and Baron Von Raschke. And it was actually the dog who came up with the the Baron character uh, for mild manner Jib Rashke, Rashke from Nebraska. And when you put these two together, they were one of the great heel tag teams in AWA history. Vicious to a fault, underhanded, cutthroat, dirty, you name it. They were they were the the ultimate tag team combination and what's interesting about that again typically towards the end of their career they both became beloved baby faces in the awa we're going to take it there they are right there boy talk about a couple of of, uh just phenomenal veterans in the business and a quick aside george will remember this when i did my saturday night at ringside anniversary special i'm interviewing mad dog Bashan. And Baron Von Raschke, this was after Mad Dog had been, unfortunately, the victim of a hit and run and had a leg amputated. And Baron Von Raschke did a walk on and he invited Mad Dog to join him after the show in a three-legged race. Only Baron Von Raschke could get away with asking the dog (laughs) to join him in a three-legged race. But legendary, individually and tag team, loved that combination. And you know, the interesting thing about that very interview segment that Mick talks about, Mad Dog ended his interview with that walk-on. He ended the interview by saying, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And the Baron came up and said, that's all the people need to know. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. And and that was unplanned. I mean, I don't think they planned that out, but it was perfect. But uh, what do you got for your next one, George? My next team is one that a lot of fans probably won't even remember, but I think they, they had a short run and they could have been used, been used better. And that was the Soup Destroyers, Mark One, Mark Two. Mark Two and Mark Three. Shire, get it right. Mark Two and Mark Three. Bob Remus and Neil Gway under the masks. And this was a team managed by Lord Alfred Hayes. They got phenomenal heat. They were able to to have feuds with Mad Dog and a variety of tag team partners and the High Flyers and Vern Gagne. And the unique part about it was is that at the end of their run together, they broke up in a very unusual way. They had Mark II go and sign with Bobby Heenan, and Mark III stayed with Hayes. And then all of a sudden, the Hayes-Heenan feud was on again, and it was great. I mean, great promoting and two guys that really were good together. Neil Gway is less known. We know Bob Remus and Sergeant Slaughter, but mm-hmm. that was one of the greatest teams in AWA 80s, 70s uh, tag teams for me. 
I, I just want to piggyback on that real quick, Chris. The, the funny yeah. thing about Super Destroyer Mark III, Neil Gway, there would be times when he would be wrestling at the Minneapolis Auditorium or the St. Paul Civic Center without his mask. This is after a while he had been unmasked already. He would get into the ring, wrestle 15, 20 minutes without the mask, and then later on in the evening he would do a run-in and he put the mask back on. So I'm not sure if he figured that wrestling fans didn't recognize is this the same guy? Didn't remember that they saw him 10 minutes earlier? Did, I mean, did, did fans know? Could fans pick it up? Right of, course right? of course they did. It was just for some reason, it was like his Linus and his security blanket. <laughs> he put the mask back on it and came running back to the ring. So uh, funny stuff about him. But I, I know I'm on to my number eight right now. This is when the business changed. And uh, you, you talk about legendary tag teams. If you talk about it in the history of the AWA, whether you're old school or not, you have to acknowledge Animal and Hawk, the Road Warriors, one of the, if not the greatest tag team, one of the most legendary tag teams in the AWA. And I would put Paul Ellering in there as a key ingredient mm -hmm. uh, in that combination. He was a real-life business manager. Uh, for the Road Warriors, uh, there's no question about the fact. You know, the, the roadies both from here, of course, they claimed they were, you know, born and raised in the streets of Chicago. But this is when professional wrestling was changing and in a big, big way. And the Road Warriors were allegedly heels when they first came into the AWA area, beat the Crusher and Baron Von Rasky for the tag team championships. But by the time they lost, the titles to uh, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Steve Regal, which incidentally, I think is a stroke of genius on Vern Gagne's part. Um, the Road Warriors had, had gone babyface. So no matter what territory, NWA, WWF, AWA, the Road Warriors, for better or for worse, one of the greatest tag teams in history. It's interesting because you always go back and you hear the Road Warrior pop. And that's really the first thing you know, because we talk about the reaction and the pop and everything now, but the first time that I heard it was the Road Warrior pop. Yes. And I think that's really where that term came from when they turned babyface. I got one question that I want to ask you guys uh, as it pertains to the Road Warriors. Speculation is that um, they refuse to lose. Was there any truth to the rumor uh, that either one of you know that they refuse to put anybody over? I would say that's not true because they put over Jimmy Garvin and Steve Regal uh, of all tag teams to be put over. I, I guess the one thing that I heard a lot, not necessarily that they wouldn't put people over, although I think their one loss record probably indicates they had a lot of you know uh, uh, power there. They wouldn't sell a lot. Uh, and a, a team like uh, you know Larry Hennig and Kurt, for example, or the Crusher and the Bruiser later on in their in their careers. The Road Warriors, for better or for worse again, did not sell. They they and and you're in the ring with a guy like Larry Hanning, and Larry gave him a gave Animal and Hawk a couple of receipts uh more often than not when they wouldn't sell. But I think it was more so that and again, you know, you're creating this persona that right. these guys are unbeatable. You know, so, so it, in that sense, you understand why they're not selling. Right, a part of part of the gimmick, part of the presentation. 
you know, what's interesting about it is we've talked during these tag team stories now about teams that get together and they, they do it for the sake of the business, whether they get along outside the ring and all that stuff we talked about. Mick touched on it with Crusher and Bruiser. I think we'd have to say that Crusher and Bruiser deserved to be have the recognition that they do in, in history. But with Animal and Hawk, they deliberately would not put Crusher and Bruiser over. And they were specifically asked by them at their age to not, you know, throw them to the mat. And the Road Warriors ignored it. So that that bothers me. But their legacy, the Road Warriors, like you say, you can't mention tag team wrestling. And they ushered in a whole new era of tag team wrestling. So there's there and that genius move with Garvin and Regal, like Mick says, great tag team. Uh, I know uh, we got about 10 minutes left here, guys, and, and I'll let you guys You've each got a, a couple left. So what do you got for your number nine, George? I'm going to go with another mask duo. And this was great because Dr. X, Dick Beyer, had been here for three years. And he had given his notice to Vern Gagne that he wanted to leave and he would agree to unmask down the road in 1970. So we have a wrestler who comes into the territory by the name of Jim Osborne. And Jim Osborne, for the most part, was a journeyman wrestler who had been around. He had done a lot of things, but never really hit the big time. Dick Beyer went to Vern Gagne and he said, here's what I want to do. Give me Jim Osborne. And he put the mask on him and called him Double X. Now you had to see these two guys standing next to each other and in the ring. Osborne was almost a carbon copy of Dick Beyer in build, in stature, in look. And he was Double X. And the short run they had here wrestling against Vern and Paul Diamond and other tag teams, Bastine and Gomez, etc. Um, they had a good run. And the, the being able to switch off, and the fans knew it, the referee, of course, he was again out maybe buying a bag of popcorn and missed it. But that was the irritation factor and switching places in the ring. And so they were a great tag team, a great gimmick. The sad part was it was at the end of Dr. X's original run, and it was short-lived. But I can't help but say they were a great tag team. Uh, what do you got for your next one, Mick? This one doesn't need a lot of belaboring. Uh, the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser. Legendary tag team combination, not only in the AWA, but literally everywhere they went. Uh, they were not cousins, but they were billed that way. Uh, when they first came into the AWA territory specifically, they were a, a vicious heel tag team. Of course, by the time they... Uh, finished their careers, as did so many heels. They were beloved as a team here in the AWA area. Uh, both individually great, great wrestlers, uh, world-renowned. In the AWA, Crusher was the more popular of the two because he was the mainstay. He was here all the time. Bruiser would kind of come in and out at the beckoning of the Crusher. But legendary. And you, you can't talk about AWA tag teams without Crusher and Bruiser. They're right up there. And uh, for those that haven't listened, we actually did an episode on uh, Crusher and Bruiser early on. It was maybe like our fourth or fifth one. Uh, go back and check it out. Uh, it was a, a great conversation about that. Uh, all right, George, what do you got for your last one here? My last one is exactly what we've talked about through this whole episode. Two guys that on the surface in the ring for decades hated each other wrestled each other, feuded with each other, tried to end each other's careers. And at the end here in 1978, Vern needs a partner that can fight dirty like Stevens and Patterson. 
after his own partner, Billy Robinson, is injured. That's the storyline. And he goes out and he seeks out that partner that can out-dirty Stevens and Patterson. And he comes up with, surprise, Mad Dog Vashon. And the, the mystery is the fans are immediately saying, oh, my God, Vern can't trust the dog. They hate each other. Can they can they coexist? Can they get along? Well, not only did they get along, they won the AWA Tag Team Championship and held it for a year against Stevens and Patterson and Jesse and Adrian and some other teams. And that is phenomenal promoting that when we're done, we go your way, I'll go my way, that sort of thing. But two enemies bearing the hatchet because of the hatred of each team they wrestle. Last but not least, um, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. I cannot talk about the AWA tag team scene and the history of the AWA without giving these guys credit that I don't think they necessarily get in the long haul. You had two veteran wrestlers. By the time they came into the AWA, both had been in the business for 15, you know, 20 years, whatever, along with Sherry Martell, one of the shining lights in the AWA towards the end of the the the, the successful years for the AWA. Uh, Buddy Rose, of course, trained by Vern Gagne. Doug Summers uh, got his start here in the AWA area. And as Buddy would always remind everybody, he never lost a fall in any of their tag team matches. It was always Doug Summers who, uh, who got beat. But uh, their matches with the Midnight Rockers were absolutely off the charts. And in the history of the AWA, some of the greatest bloodbaths of all time. So Rose and Summers, absolutely. Don't ignore them. Great tag team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Um, let's uh, go ahead and get into, well, first of all, Mick, I know that, uh, why don't you uh, pay tribute to uh, uh, somebody, the, the passing of referee Charlie Smith. Yeah, George knows Charlie very, very well. Wrestling fans around the country knew him. He was a mainstay at Cauliflower Alley. Not an AWA connection, but a tremendous referee, a long career. What a great goodwill ambassador for the business. You go to those CAC conventions, he greeted everybody with a smile and a handshake and a laugh. Uh, very, very sad. He is going to be sorely, sorely missed. Just a wonderful human being. I say amen to all of that. Just a just a great human being. And uh, in our last couple of minutes here, guys, uh, Mick, let's go ahead and uh, do a trivia. We'll do the shout out, and then uh, yeah, then we'll take it home. Trivia along the, the the lines of the tag team combinations. Here's your trivia question: The Crusher and Vern Gagne back in the 1960s chose Kenny J as a tag team partner. In a six-man tag team match in Minneapolis, my question is kind of two parts. What tag team did they face? What tag team did Crusher, Vern, and Kenny J face? And the match concluded with Kenny J pinning one of the opposition in a major upset. Two-part question. Give me the answers. You're going to win some merchandise. And now uh, you can hit him up on his Facebook page. You can email him at uh, mickkarch@gmail.com. Uh, they can also email you as well, right, George? Correct. All right, at uh, Gshire at, at Comcast.net. Comcast.net. All right, and uh, one more thing to, to uh, take care of, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and give our shout-outs. 
Go ahead, Georgie. I'm going to go with my buddy, Dr. Jim Allen, sweetheart of a guy. I love talking with him. We have lunch at least once a year, and he is so hilarious. He remembers the old stuff. He loves the behind-the-scenes stories that I share with him. He throws out a name. He loves our podcast. He's turned his son-in-law onto the podcast as well. So, Dr. Jim, I love you, and I'm looking forward to our next lunch. Thanks for being a follower of AWA Unleashed. All right. Uh, what do you got, Mick? My shout-out goes to a dear friend of almost 30 years, Karen Swanson. Uh, Karen is a longtime wrestling fan. She uh, hobnobbed with uh, the Road Warriors and Wayne Blue and Mike Enos and a lot of guys when she was uh, working with Zubas back in the day. Loves our podcasts. She'll do anything for uh, to further our efforts. So thank you and shout out to Karen. And uh, I'm going to go with Justin Clapper at JC Pro Wrestle on Twitter. Uh, big supporter of the uh, the program. And uh, thank you guys for uh, all the support. Uh, Want to thank Soda Stick right there. You can see up in the uh, right hand corner. There it is, George. Uh, thank them for the AWA Unleashed merchandise. We got more things coming down the pike. Um, check out their website, sodastickco.com. Use promo code Unleashed for fifteen percent off. Also, uh, Lift Bridge Brewery. Uh, that's where we're going to be having our very first live show coming up. You can see right there, Saturday, June eleventh. Um, doors open at noon, live podcast at two. Uh, we're going to have some giveaways, shenanigans. We're going to have a whole bunch of fun. Um, and then uh, also Lip Bridge Brewery, you can tell uh, I've been uh, partaking in it. And uh, check them out, liftbridgebrewery.com. They've got great booze. They, they got, I mean, they got pop. They got a lot of really cool things. Hey, by the way, when it relates to tag teams, um, I did not catch the heyday of the AWA. So, Next for next week, I got I given you guys a little bit of a homework assignment here. I want you guys to come up with each come up with a few tag teams, maybe post '88 to the end, um, that you feel maybe were the best of that era because that's my child, and, and that's what you know. Some of us that didn't get to see the you know Cruiser or uh, Bruiser Crusher, um, Vern Mad Dog things like that. We didn't get a chance to see that, so. Um, maybe in, uh, in those days, whether it's bad company, the, you know, the hangman, um, uh, you know, the, uh, destruction crew, things like that. So I uh, just got a few that I wanted to get to, but I want to kind of get into it a little bit more next week. Um, I think that's it and, uh, good stuff guys. Appreciate it and appreciate everybody out there for, uh, listening. Any final words, guys, keep it old school, keep it AWA. And always thanks to Chris. We love you, man. You keep this boat rowing and we need you and we appreciate you.